Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. I know you might find it hard to believe, but it's true. It really is true. When I was in middle school and high school, I was not the most popular kid in class. In fact, I'd be willing to bet there were people in my high school that, even though it was only 200 people in my graduating class, didn't know I existed. I didn't fit in with the rednecks. I didn't really fit in with the jocks. I didn't, even though I played football, I didn't really fit in with the nerds. I didn't fit in anywhere. I had a little group of about four or five people that I hung out with, and sometimes I would try to squeeze myself to fit into different groups of people, but it wasn't very successful at it. I did grow up on food stamps and potato soup and eating that potted meat from, you know, the one from the little can that you can only take so much of. Yeah, almost every day at lunch all through middle school. I, I guess if I was in the breakfast club, I would have been that group of misfits pretty much all by myself or just my three or four friends. But community is the most complicated part of leadership in my estimation. And that's what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And if you've dealt with humans at all, whether it's raising kids or it's hanging out in middle school or it's hanging out in high school or maybe you went on to college or the military, in all of those environments, you find that the most complicated part of leadership is community. It's those really small groups of people that we might call a clique or those friends that we hang out with, especially the ones you hang out with face-to-face. -face. It's a little different when you get the filter of that social media device between you, or you get the filter at least of a text between you, and, and you can hide behind your cell phone. It happens sometimes, oddly enough, sitting at the dinner table. Maybe you've seen parents who are so enwrapped in their phone, they're not paying any attention to their kids until their toddler starts coughing or wheezing with something they've stuffed in their face. Maybe you've seen it with a group of teenagers sitting around in a social environment like a coffee shop, all at the same table and all on their own devices. And ironically, they will still text each other or they will Facebook each other or they will gram each other right there at the table. They'll take videos of each other and then post them. It's a really interesting mix of human emotions. See, the challenge we have as leaders is that our expectation is influence. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to influence the thoughts, the attitudes, the behaviors of people. We're supposed to, or should be, that we're expected to. They want us to, they, those that we report to, those who have an expectation set upon us, to lead people to better productivity to better results, to better decision-making. All of those features and factors are kind of the outcome that they long for, and they have expectations on us that we will pull that off. There's a reason people say things like, trying to lead is often like herding cats. I heard a comedian recently say he was, for a year, a kindergarten teacher. He said, really what this is about is domesticating wild animals. And I thought, you know, I got grandkids in that age right now. I've raised my own, and 
I don't think he's far off the beaten path when it comes to leading pre-K or elementary age kids. It is often much like trying to domesticate wild animals or herding cats. The complicated thing is that that doesn't really change. If you've ever been in the environment as a leader, maybe not even a recognized, appointed, assigned, or responsible leader, it's just in your makeup, it's the who that you are, you find yourself in environments where no one is assigned as the leader and everyone acts like they're five. Everyone acts like an undomesticated animal. Nobody wants to follow the rules that are posted. Nobody wants to do what should be done, do the right thing. They all want to just kind of get away with anything. And until there's someone that's willing to stick their neck out and go, I'll do it, I'll lead, I'll be the one responsible for the outcome, good, bad, or otherwise, I, I will take that ownership. Until they are, until someone does, no one will. And they all act like a bunch of five-year-olds who have no bearing and no sense of responsibility and no sense of accountability. And if you think I'm kidding, just watch the next time you're in a crowd and nobody knows who the leader is and watch them all behave like they've reverted back to their elementary school age. It's very common. It's frightening how common it is. But whether you're talking about a retail environment or a political environment or on the streets, if there's no one assigned to leadership, wearing the badge, wearing the right colored t-shirt or, or dress shirt, if there's no one who's been given the authority, everybody will act as if there isn't one. Now think about what that means for the breakdown of our moral society. Our, even our constitution, as it was written for the United States, was designed to be written for a moral people. Meaning, a group of people who, as a community, small, tiny little communities of a family, or two or three families together in a, in a neighborhood, or several families together in a small village or town, or lots of families together in a city, or in a state, or in a colony, or in a country. And at every level, there's still this expectation that the last thing the leader should have to do is distinguish for you the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is moral and what is immoral, what is beneficial for society as a whole and what is destructive. And unfortunately, when there's not a designated, assigned, and anointed or appointed leader, everyone kind of reverts to five. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you remember whether you're... 17 and just a sibling, or 35 and a parent of a couple of kids, or a grandparent, do you remember the moment you sat down with the two-year-old and said, now let me tell you how to be selfish. I need to instruct you on what it means to be self-centered and self-focused and want everything for yours. In fact, I need you to teach, I need to teach you this word. Right after you learn the word no, because we've said it a bazillion times, you need to learn to say this word. You ready? Mine. See, I've raised four kids and some extras, and we have 10 that call us Lolly and Poppy, and I do not remember that moment. In fact, I can't recall a second 
that we would sit down with the little ones and say, you need to be more selfish. You need to be more self-focused. You need to worry about yourself and yourself alone so much more. You need to become, well, a little more narcissistic. No, we never taught them that. Why? Because it's in the nature of man. Instead, what we did was teach them, you've got to learn to share. <laughs> you've got to be more gracious. You've got to be more giving. You've got to be willing to set aside your own wants, needs, and desires from time to time and sometimes take care of others. That's the instruction we have to give. Now, let's go back to the original statement. When there's not an assigned, appointed, or anointed leader, what tends to happen is that we all revert to that time when we were pre-K age, maybe kindergarten age. We go back to the most selfish moments of our makeup. In a community, it tends to be that if there isn't a leader, everybody becomes self-serving. That's not a good thing. It's the reason that our Constitution, our laws, everything that was structured around what is the United States of America was built on the idea that you've got to be a moral people. Now, part of what that means is that you're internally led to do the right thing, to do the good thing, to do the thing that is most beneficial to the most people around you, to benefit others, not just yourself. Because a moral compass, especially one as many of our founding fathers were, focused on an external text. They had a set of moral boundaries, the Ten Commandments, if you will, of what it means to you know, not lie to each other, not steal things from your friend or your neighbor. Don't take things that belong to somebody else. Don't kill each other. It's a bad idea. Don't lie about things. Don't make up ideas or problems just for the purpose of bearing false witness to tell something about someone else just to make them look bad and you look good. That, that's not good. There's no good to come of that. But see, these are the things that we expected to be the foundation of community, which would make leading a group of people who have that kind of moral compass, a, a common understanding, a common ground, if you could find a group like that that already agreed on these things, then leading them shouldn't be that complicated. But on many occasions in my life, I have found myself in a group of people where no one was really assigned the leader. We were just kind of left to our own. It happened to me in the military. It happened to me in athletics in high school. It happened to me on different jobs, many different jobs through the course of my life where there was really no one in charge. And so everyone just kind of milled around like a bunch of lost five-year-olds, doing whatever felt good to them, doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And in the end, it was a disaster. But what really is necessary as a leader in community is the ability to establish that common ground, the ability to influence people, to recognize where are our commonalities. What is it we share amongst ourselves that's common to all of us? What are the things that are important to all of us? We might call those core values, common principles, common law. 
Those are the things that we say, well, if we can all just agree on these, we don't need very many of them. We just need some really powerful ones that, that everyone can agree on. The sky is blue, the sun is yellow, and it can be hot. Even when the air is cold, the sun can be hot. That's why you stand in the sun in the winter and in the shade in the summer, because the sun is hot. If we can't agree on that, then we're going to have some hard time figuring out what the basic rules are. We probably shouldn't intentionally injure one another. That That's a really good common rule. I, I don't want anybody hurting me and hurting the people that I care about. So for good common equality, I will not hurt anyone else or the people that they care about. That See, those shouldn't be that complicated, but... Without a leader around and without those common understandings, we have a disaster. Now let's fast forward, say, a couple of hundred years and let's put ourselves in the place of, say, where we are today, where we have social media. We have many places where the rules apply only to one group of people. There are others who make up the rules, but they don't have to abide by them. They can make them whatever they want them to be. They can change them on a whim. They can even change them after you've supposedly broken a rule that really didn't exist prior to you making a decision. And then all of a sudden your decision is, well, it's against the rules. I recently received a group notification from a church that we went to several years ago, like back in 2012. I haven't been released from or dismissed from or deleted from or removed myself from there. Facebook group page for all the members of that church. And I received a notification and I clicked on the notification and whoa, it was it was really nasty pornography. Immediately I deleted the message and then I reported it as inappropriate so that the church would know that it was there. And I got a notification back from Meta that it didn't violate their community standards. Interesting that someone hacking the church's page and posting pornography doesn't violate anyone's community standards. I'm guessing if the pastor knew that it was there, it might violate his community. Well, I would hope that it would violate his community standards. See, these are the kinds of challenges where the rules apply only to certain people because I know that I have had posts where I've quoted stuff right out of, say, the Bible or someone else's book and it violates community standards because it doesn't agree with whoever it is that makes up those community standards. Now, when I say that community is the most complicated part of leadership, what I really mean by that is community is among the most ambiguous and ambivalent parts of leadership. Why? Well, because humans are involved. And humans are the most ambiguous and ambivalent creatures that I know. I mean, when my puppy decides she wants something, you can take it away from her, you can scold her, you can put her in her crate. But if that thing is still around when she comes out of her crate, she has forgotten that she got in trouble for taking that thing and she will go right back to it. It takes quite a bit of training for her to do that, to, to not go after that thing. Humans are very, very similar in that once they get their mind set on something, they're going to go after it. The difference is they're much more crafty. And they might just simply change their mind and go after something else. More obnoxious, more destructive, more painful to surrender. When we see some of the behavior, uh, 
Roving gangs is the only way I can think to describe when a group of 10 or 20 young people decide to don masks to hide their identity, not to protect themselves against something, but to hide their identity. And they bring garbage bags and sticks and they bear spray the security guard so that they can abscond with a whole lot of very expensive items. That is not good community. Oh, it is. It is community. Don't don't doubt for a second. It is community. It's just a different kind of community. And that kind of community, it does have a leader. And that leader is a malicious leader. That leader has an intent that probably doesn't benefit a larger society at all. But don't mistake, it is a community. And it does have a leader. And they do have a purpose. And they do have objectives and goals and standards. And maybe you've never heard the phrase thicker than thieves. Yeah, in some criminal organizations, it's more honorable to spend time in jail than to come clean about the people who perpetrated the crime with you. That's where the phrase thicker than thieves comes in. They, they are loyal to each other. They are loyal to the criminal group because they know it could cost you your life if you rat out all the people that perpetrated the crime with you. See, corrupt politicians have a similar vein, thicker than thieves. They, they know that what they're doing is wrong, it's illegal, it's immoral, it violates the Constitution, it violates the laws, it violates the moral conscience of our society, but they don't care, they'll defend one another. Uh, don't be fooled that one political side versus the other is better off or less likely. It seems to be pretty consistent that once they gain power... They will do anything to keep it. They'll lie to anybody. They'll make up things. They'll stand in front of a camera and tell you what they absolutely positively know is untrue. They are their own community. Sometimes it doesn't seem as though they're a part of our community. Community is the most complicated part of leadership because it involves humans. It is demanding. It is exacting. There are a whole lot of expectations that are put upon the leader of a community. And most of the time, the expectation has to do with the end result of the entire community. If you think I'm kidding, go back and look at a school superintendent, a city mayor or a city manager. The expectations of the entire community's results. How many students have graduated from the school? How many of the tests were taken? They got great results. Those community expectations, what kind of violent crime do we have in the schools? Have we found guns or drugs in the schools? These are the expectations placed on the leaders, such as the teachers, the principals, the superintendents of schools. And in the places where those expectations are held high and those standards are also arbitrated by the school board, by the community of citizens and parents impacted by that school district, that superintendent will be held responsible for the outcome, for the results, for the measurable standards of that school. Now, there are places where the corruption is also coming from the other side of community, where the school board and the superintendent and teachers unions have an agenda, and they really don't care about what the parents think or what the local society thinks or what the local community, city, county, state thinks of their policies. They have their own sense of community, their own sense of leadership, their own sense of moral standing and responsibility, and they will behave as they choose to behave, and they really don't care what you think about it. 
That's a different place where community becomes the most complicated part of leadership because the community they've chosen to serve is not necessarily your community. We see the same thing in almost every infrastructure, every hierarchy. When the whole of community, the whole of society is not the focus of leadership, then it becomes these factions, these cliques, these circle of friends, these local influencers that become the sense of community that holds people accountable. They want results. They want you to do what they want done, whether it's good for the whole of society or not. If you want to see a great depiction of this over a period of a few decades, go binge watch Peaky Blinders. And you will see a, a family who takes upon itself a tradition of criminality and over a series of events and relationships have literally global impact because they are a tight-knit community with a very specific agenda. And they use that agenda to play communities against each other, to play, play political leaders against each other, to play even royalty against itself because their tight-knit community is more important than the whole of society or the communities around them. Gang affiliation, mafioso-style family affiliations, they have the same kind of impact on our society as a whole. That community has its own influence. It becomes a leader all on its own. The same is true of every clique in your workplace, every clique in your school, every clique in your local neighborhood. And as a leader, part of your role is to see to it that the leadership of that organization, that organism, that community, lives to benefit the whole of society. I'm not saying that the, the design of the community is your responsibility. I'm just saying that as a leader, as an influencer in that community, you will one day be held accountable. Did it benefit the whole of society or was it out for its own gain, even at the expense of those around? Community is the most complicated part of leadership because there are humans involved. Maintaining those emotional relationships, helping to influence the thoughts, the directions, the choices of those in the community, that is the role of the leader. And if there's not a leader there because that role has been abdicated or never assigned, then this might be an experiment where you need to step up, establish some common ground, establish some common expectations, some moral fortitude, and lead. And I think as our society continues to see the struggles that we are, where these little communities all on their own have kind of designed themselves for their own purpose, we're going to have to see more people rise up in these small communities and take a leadership role with some responsibility and accountability, or we're going to find our society as whole in a disastrous mess. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. And 18 that I was praying, God, you know, he just needs this thing broken in his life. 
he's become involved in that class. And there's real spiritual change and real physical change happening in this guy's life. Today on Transforming Grace TV. succumb to addiction and I would succumb to pornography. And the residual effect of that in my life and my children and my household and my other relationships, mind-boggling. And yet I knew there was a call in my life. And I think that tension is what pulls men apart in the churches and, and it pulls families apart. It, that to me is heartbreaking. My opinion too is that uh, the body of Christ has a tendency to crucify our wounded. Transforming Grace TV passionately reveals hope in broken relationships. Stay tuned. Experience God's transforming grace.